previously on Many Realms. Mr. Nod, I anticipate our next meeting, V. <laughs> no, that was Valix. I think she was part dragon. This is one of a pair of mirrors that Selway and Yulikon created so that they could keep in touch. I don't know exactly where the second one is, but Selway always told me that it was somewhere in Yulikon's manor. We will be entering Yulikon's manor now. I have asked Selway to continue my work in earnest when I am gone. Death may be an inescapable price to pay for the sweetness of being, but I could not abide to be forgotten. Hey, I'm Jory, I'm playing Juniper, and it's good to be here. My name is Jillian. I play Anisha. We're all really tired. It's good to be here. <laughs> My name is Eli. I play Olivet, and it's good to be here. My name is Jordan. I play Mateo, and last time it was good to be here, and this time it's good to be here. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm your DM. There's a big package on my desk. What, what could be inside of here? Hey, it's the Many Realms. are in Yulikon's study, having just dispatched the fire snake that served as his personal fireplace Billy Crystal as Calcifer attendant, and you discovered a note where he um, states the thesis of this campaign, because I wanted to make sure we got that down somewhere. What do you do? There are exits to the south. Did we find everything in this room? Everything there is to find. Here's the thing to keep in mind. Yulikon, like, died of old age. So it's not like this manor was abandoned when he was halfway through like a bunch of shit. Do you know what I mean? The things that you've seen in here are put away, you know, neat, pristine, orderly. There hasn't been any kind of mess besides like where clearly some rats got in. Um, everything else you've encountered has been like pretty spotless and pretty organized. Tables have been cleared off, like shelves have been tidied. You get the impression that Yulikon was a man who like knew it was his time to go, got his affairs in order and went. Uh, sorry, so you said there are doors to where? There's a door south leading back to the landing you came on, and there's a door to the west. West? You want to go through it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, you all die. Uh, <laughs> so you're in a hallway. You're in a corridor. There are three doors on your left and two doors on your right, spaced down the hallway. We go in the second door on the right. You head to the second door on the right side of the hallway and find it locked. Okay, I'll pick the lock. Okay. Can you make a check to do that? I forget which one. Sleight of hand is, exists in 5e. It does indeed. 22. Okay. This is a mundane lock on a mundane door, and it opens quite easily. You find yourself in what looks like a secondary non-master bedroom. There is a portrait of Yulikon on the wall. It looks like it's been pretty much packed away. There is a window that's open or like cracked a little bit. So you can see in the light of your uh, drake fruit and also like a sliver of moonlight peeking in that there is a small bed against the far wall. And there is a stool with uh, what looks to be a bowl sitting on it. A bowl? A bowl. What's in the bowl? Water. Just water? Just water in the bowl. It's a baby moon pool. Put my daggers in the bowl. Uh, you get wet, you unlock two wet daggers. <laughs> <laughs> they deal wet damage. This room sucks. 
Is the stool and bowl like close to a window? Yeah, they're near the window that's sort of like just cracked, but they're not in like view of it. I want to move the bowl into the moonlight. Just to get the the easier thing to do is just open the window all the way. Oh. Um, I think I described that weird. But uh, you open the window all the way, like pull the shutter back, and moonlight floods into the room and alights on the surface of this plain wooden bowl. And um, familiar glowing golden light starts to play and drift about in the water. It begins to ripple and roil and churn a little bit in this tiny bowl. Slowly, a tiny, accurate model of the village of Tower Hill springs up. And you can see Yulikon's Manor. You can see the cobbler shop, the stable, the rabbit cleaver, the guard post, the chandlery, even your old house, Mateo, and your cake shack, all rendered in delicate, intricate golden points of light. Can you remind me how Felix like interacted with the map? He sat in a special chair and went into a weird trance. So uh, you don't see a special chair here. Right. So you're not quite sure how that would do a one-to-one. Is it like sci-fi like projected like in the air? Yeah. Can I, like, touch the tower map? You unlock a wet finger. Like, the projected image is wet? Yeah, it's like water outlined in light. Oh. As you get closer to play with it, you see a slip of paper (laughs) under the bowl that looks like it has a note on it. Ooh, I look at the note. This is a note that appears to be in a different handwriting that you find in a bedroom that appears to, you infer, you think is probably Selway's. The note says... I have excused myself from dinner to come up here and write this out while it is fixed in my mind. The light of the thicket has informed me that we are to begin work on a chandlery to maintain his great candle once we are both dirt. The chandler shall name an apprentice, who shall then become chandler, who shall then name an apprentice for all eternity known and unknown. At this moment, the clarity of the situation is overwhelming. Apprenticeship is a shackle clasped around one's throat. This ink brims with hypocrisy, surely, but I know the feeling in my heart. Apprentices are like children. You only have them because you think so highly of yourself that you become deluded in your thinking and imagine the world might benefit from a second, smaller you. We burden our youth under the yoke of tradition until their bones are bent to a shape we find pleasing, never minding what the natural form of the body is to be. This is just as true for magicians and non-magical peoples alike. What might the smithy boy become if he is allowed to choose the manner by which he passes his days? The shop girl might long to pluck the strings of a lute, but her father's heavy glance encases her in the leaden weight of the past. We imagine we pass along our skills and our virtues in clean, even measure, but we are fools. Just as often we pass along our flaws and sins, letting our inadequacies cascade into the great canyons of the future, satisfied that we might never see the end of the fall. I have swallowed the tragedy that begat the founding of Tower Hill, and I fear the consequences that may be called when light once more falls upon that secret's gaunt face. This paper may be my one clear and vivid testimony, for the truth I must admit is that I owe a great deal to the light of the thicket. He has entrusted me with power and potential greater than any I could ever have known without him. Nor do I disagree that helping those who call for it is a noble act, but he is wrong to chide me like a wayward mule when all I seek is the freedom of my own identity. I say now, I will be as old and rude and hypocritical as he is on the day I summon for myself an apprentice. Do you think my apprentices hate me? 
No, oh my god, you know them. You know that they love you. How can I be sure? Because we're not all Selway. Selway is an apprentice well into adulthood. Your apprentices are kids. Exactly, they're children. They should, like, play. That's what children do, right? Traditionally. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, she kind of sounds like a brat to me. I would have loved to have a home. You know what they say, beggars can't be choosers. I mean... As bruntly as he put it, he's not wrong. You took in these kids and you cared for them. Maybe we get back and you, you know, you let them go outside a little more. As an apprentice, the things that bother me were not the learning and the growing, like that wasn't the problem. The problem was not being able to grow and learn at my own pace or in the way that I do best. It was the way that the, that Keon thought was how to best teach me. So I think perhaps the issue isn't with apprenticeship in general, but with treating apprentices as individuals and allowing for them to break the mold. Selway was eating her supper or whatever and went upstairs like an angry teenager and wrote this letter, and then I want to tear this letter in half. No, don't! And then what did she do like a million billion years later? She got an apprentice! She's just... Like, acting out, obviously, doesn't know what she's saying. The two halves of the letter fall to the floor. I pick them up. Selway didn't stay in Tower Hill, and she didn't look after the candle. She she made her own way. She took her own path, and I think this bowl, this mini moon pool, you know, was her trying to be an individual. This I, maybe I think is her own creation, her own way of, of keeping people safe. So as much as, you know, you know, Yulikan's way might've not been for her, but she, she found something that, that did work for her. So I don't think you can call her like an, an angry teenager, or, you know, doing the same thing. I really did do think she, she found herself in some way. Maybe she did, but do you think Felix feels like he has the same freedom that Selway did? Because he kind of had to abandon his only family in the world in the name of being an apprentice. Yeah, but now we know where Felix lives and Mateo and Felix uh, have been reunited and there's nothing to say that we can't go back and that we can't be friends. I don't know. History doesn't necessarily repeat itself. Anisha, yes. when you were an apprentice, how was your relationship with the tower keeper at the time? Flashback. <laughs> Anisha's got like a cool cigarette and they're on a street corner and they're like, beat it, copier. I gotta go be a ratatouille teenager. A ratatouille teenager. <laughs> we can, okay, scrap what I just said. Do, do what Jillian's saying. Anyway. I mean, I didn't, I didn't become an apprentice by choice. It was kind of a punishment Honestly, I kind of fucked up a long time ago uh, and the town didn't really know what to do with me. So they figured this was the next best thing to a jail cell. So, I mean, I got over it and I, you know, worked on myself. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not so careless 
And I don't know, I grew, I grew to, you know, care about something important and respect it uh, enough to want to protect it. So I don't know, apprenticeship was good for me. It made me a better person. Anisha, what did you do? You're not gonna believe this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I am. Well, when I was about Mateo's age, I thought I would pull a fun prank on my counselor. We didn't really get along. I didn't really respect his views or anything, so I, I managed to take uh, a ring of his and I threw it in the well with no bottom because I didn't think it wouldn't have a bottom. Did he, did he fall down the well too or just the ring? <laughs> No, the ring was not on his body at the time. <laughs> so you just stole his ring? I did. But I wasn't, like, subtle about it. This doesn't seem bad enough. What does that mean? You weren't subtle it, about it? It was important to him and his family, so... I don't know, the town didn't really want to make a, a big deal about it. My parents, like, begged the authorities to just keep it quiet. So I guess some of that worked out. Their reputation meant a lot to them. But you just like pulled up, even if it's an important ring, it's just a ring. I don't know, that seems harsh. Is it possible that this was like one and maybe like a series of, this might've been like the straw that broke the counselor's back. I wanna give them a heavy back pat. Huh, you've got a lot more uh, bite than I thought. Yeah, I'm full of surprises. <laughs> um, okay, while we're here, I want to check out that bedside table. <laughs> <laughs> There's no bottle of rose water. It's rose water abandoned. Uh, I need to find this mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't there other rooms we haven't gone in? Sure, yeah, you've done both the rooms on this side of the hallway, on the north side. Uh, I go to the closest one on the south side. Uh, this room looks like a workshop. I turn around. You see the door. And go to the next room. Okay. Oh, you mean you turn around to leave. I was like, you see the door you just walked through. Okay, yeah. Uh, you leave the workshop and head to this room, which yeah. is a little storage closet. I look for a mirror. It's there. Oh. I, I, I take the mirror. He's being thorough. What do you want from me? You found it. So you find a uh, small round mirror with a silvered handle. It has a tarnished patina uh, over the glass, but smudges away fairly easily with your fancy wizard robe sleeve. I'm not entirely happy with my brother still. I want to like try and call him, but like make it look like I'm injured and or oh. dying. Oh, oh my God. God. And, then, and then he answers it. How do you make yourself like injured or dying? Like I just would imagine like laying on the ground and just want me to punch you, know, you in the face, looking dead. Give uh, him a shiner. Well, am I bleeding from before at all? You took a little short rest. You, you know what? I probably look kind of beaten up. So yeah, I just want to kind of do like the glassy eyes laying on the ground and like kind of selfie camera the mirror out in front of me and be like, oh what, like you know, Bay caught me slipping kind of thing, but it's myself. Yeah. Um, okay, you do that, and uh, the uh, reflection of yourself in the mirror starts to fade and dissipate. And for a second, the mirror goes uh, completely black, 
but then you see an image forming and it is of the bedroom where you stayed with Felix in Selway's old cottage. Okay. And I actually had this in my notes already. This isn't my fault, but you <laughs> have a kind of parallel image because Felix is um, lying on the bed fully asleep. Felix! Uh, Felix! He kind of stirs a little bit. Felix! Felix! Wake up, Felix! <laughs> Felix opens his eyes, uh, tussles his, his hair. He's kind of messy. He's in his pajamas. He's uh, waking up for like another night of patrolling the thicket now that sun has set. And he looks around to hear where that voice comes from. And then he hears it's coming from the mirror and he gets really excited. He jumps off the bed and he runs over and he picks it up and he smiles and he says, hey, Mateo. And then he freezes and he says, were you, were you sleeping? Felix, I just, I just want, I wish we could have spent more time together. I love, uh, now I we could play this out, but I will say the rest of you are like fully here as well. <laughs> no, they weren't in that room yet. You're in a closet. Hi, Felix. He's fine. Uh, no, I'm not fine. Uh. <laughs> Felix is like staring at through this mirror. His expression is confused. His brow is furrowed, and he's like, "Are you? Did you? Just kidding. Gotcha. Serves you right. So you think that's funny?" I mean, you think yeah, that's funny? Of, yeah, I was worried of. sick. You know what's funny, Mateo? What's that? And he um, sets the mirror against the wall and he moons it. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's here, brother. Well, sorry guys. It's Mateo's fault. You can blame him. And he sets the mirror to off. <laughs> okay. Well, I pocket the mirror. Great. I want to go in the workshop. Sure. The workshop <laughs> is a lot more kind of like rustic and practical than any of the kind of nicely furnished and like couchy studies and bedrooms and parlors you've seen. There are like stools for working. There are long wooden tables. And in the back corner of the room, there is a double door that looks like it leads to a closet. It has a padlock on it. A locks boy. Can you unlock that locks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could probably do that. Actually, it, looks, it sounds like there's uh, someone uh, who's been holding out on us in our party who might be able to do it uh, as well. So, you want to give it a shot, you know, for old time's sake, huh? I kind of like pull, scoot them towards pull, the lock. the lock pick out to <laughs> Anisha. Is Anisha professional with thieves tools? No. Outside of like creating a character that's a monk, do you think there's like rationale to justify that Anisha might be proficient with thieves tools? It's, you know, been 30 odd years since I picked a lock. I, I don't know that I'm proficient with it. We'll see what happens. I think you should try I'll, it. I'll try I, it. I'll treat you as proficient with thieves tools. Yeah. It is like riding a bike. Okay. That's an 18. Sure. This is not a very complicated lock either. The padlock falls open and the closet doors burst open as a horrible monster charges out trampling Anisha. That's not a joke. It looks like a variety of like stitched together Frankensteinish parts. Some of Eulicon or Selway's experiments might have gone south. And this thing is going to use, let's say it's tentacles <laughs> on Anisha. Uh, sorry. First off, it hits. How did this happen? <laughs> you need to make a constitution save. 
Natural one. Oof. You take five points of damage as this thing uh, wraps its tentacles around your arm and shoulder. You feel a strange singing sensation as it does. Mm -hmm. Before you even know what's happening, you can feel your muscles stiffening up and uh, you are paralyzed. Is this considered like poison? Yes. You can uh, roll at the end of each of your turns to attempt to break this. Um, otherwise, it will last one minute. Okay, so I can't move at all. That's correct. It crawls up onto the ceiling, these sticky tentacles, and starts making its way towards the door. I can't let that out in Tower Hill. I can't, no, oh. I can't go out into the city. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should roll fresh initiative for this, I guess. So now we're Matt Joe. Mateo, it's Matt Joe's turn. It's on the ceiling? It's on the ceiling. How high is it? I would say just 10 feet makes sense. Yeah, 10 yeah. feet is a regular 10 story. feet rendered ceiling, yeah. So things with a reach of five will not be able to get it. Uh, okay, well then that calls for a crossbow. Uh, that is an 18. That absolutely hit. I don't know if sneak attack applies because we're not within five feet, so I'm just gonna roll these six. Oof, five points of damage. With that, sorry, that's a crossbow bolt? Yes. Uh, as the thing charges out and bowls over Anisha, instinctively you reach for the crossbow at your belt, uh, whip it out and fire a bolt right into one of its tentacles, I guess. And now it is Az's turn. That's Anisha. Yeah, well, I guess I'm trying to break this. <laughs> Correct. This is a constitution? Yeah. 13. Yeah, great. Your paralysis is revoked as you uh, drink like a detoxifying green tea. <laughs> that was so fast. The dope thing is that the tentacles reach 10 feet. So as it continues to try to flee, it's going to get all of it. It can still reach behind it with its tentacles. Even on the ceiling. Does not hit, though. Yeah. It latches onto your shield, and you yank your arm back. Um, and it recoils and starts to move into the hallway. Olivet. He's still on the ceiling, right? Oh, yeah. Is your, like, melee better than your distance? Yeah. I'm going to cast Spider Climb on Ooh. Olivet. So now yeah. you can climb speed equal to walking speed, may move vertically and upside down while hands are free. Yeah. Thank you, Juniper. Damn. Then. It's all of that's turn. It's spider time. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. This is great. <laughs> and I'll go for a hack. Okay. With my axe. Definitely hits. 17 Absolutely. Plus six. Seven. You slash at it. The rest of you see Olivet run out of the room, not stopping to <laughs> breaking her run when she hits the wall and just like running fully up, upside down to the ceiling and just uh, <laughs> with the thrill of the fight, charging into melee with this horrible creature. Mateo, it's your turn. Uh, great. Uh, now that there is something threatening it, uh, I will attack with a crossbow again. Mm -hmm. 16. That hits. Okay. Uh, that is 12 total. You um, pierce another one of its tentacles and like a sticky purple icor starts dripping onto Yulikon's nice hardwood. Uh, <laughs> Anisha, you have recovered recently from paralysis. That is the last time I will be picking a lock. Thank you. <laughs> Can I throw a dart at it? Yeah. Mm, 14. That hits. Six. You um, flex your muscles, expel that lactic acid and do maybe like a somersault into like a kneeling thing where you can like throw the dart from. Sure. Tentacles turn. Olivet, you are in a tangle and a t 
tussle with these tentacles, but you are holding your ground despite your ground now being the ceiling, <laughs> and you bat away its many uh, whirling appendages. Unfortunately, um, from a mound of flesh that you're not really paying attention to, a mouth emerges and bites down on your arm, uh, dealing six points of damage. As long as I'm not getting eaten. Juniper. Yeah. Maybe you could like go to close the window or something. Ooh, I will go to close the window. That's a great idea. In Selway's room? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, you head over and slam the window shut, uh, running underneath Olivet and uh, wincing as some sticky purple blood uh, spatters on your shoulders on the top of your head. Yeah, gross. Olivet? Keep hacking. Sure. Oh, nine. Does not hit. Mateo. Uh, is it still in range? I think it was trying to get Olivet off its back. So it didn't move last turn, so it's still in range. Okay, uh, well, take this, loser. 21, 22. Yep. Uh, boom! Oh, boom yada. That is... <laughs> 10 with an additional... Booyakasha! Uh, for a total of 22 from one bolt. 22 total. Each one of the suckers on its tentacles dislodges from Olivet's axe, the ceiling, the wall, the doorway, and uh, like a big piece of raw octopus at the sushi bar, it splats onto the ground of the hallway with puddles of purple icor um, splashing up on Olivet's head from the ground. All right. I want to like run back and forth down this hallway on the ceiling. You do that. How long do I have to do this? This is awesome. <laughs> An hour. Yeah! See y'all on the ground, suckers. Um, good teamwork on that one. You all get 120 experience points. Call it 125, because it's a fraction. Um, okay, this thing is gone. All right, go back to examining this room. Sure. Huh. You want to make an investigation check? A six, seven, eight. Maybe a little bit shook from all the upside down octopus shenanigans. I'm gonna drink my healing potion. Yeah. Sure. Uh, 12 plus whatever, I'm back up to the top. Yeah. Can I investigate from the ceiling? Make an investigation check. Does like the blood not rush your head? <laughs> it absolutely does. <laughs> um, you see the glint of something catching the light. It looks like something has fallen behind the long table that's pushed against the wall. Hey, what's that? It's shiny. What's that? It is a pair of spectacles that have a odd bluish tint to them. And also one of the lenses is heavily spattered with purple icor. Are they cute? Yeah. Try them on. I equip them instantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe I'll do a quick, like, make sure they're not a cursed object because I already have like two of those on me <laughs> right now. The max is three slots for a cursed object so you know how to play 5e. What am I doing a check for? I guess Arcana. Okay. Well, you I don't really have. Up. Yeah. Okay. You don't know what they do. Okay. So I'm just going to no. Put them on. Put them on. Remember the last time we like yelled at someone to do something? <laughs> yeah, but you got a super powerful amulet last time. What does it do? I think it just gives me a headache. You haven't tried to do anything with it yet. But what can I do with it? It just gives you a friend. <laughs> yeah, me and my buddy Eric. All right, put on the glasses, because whatever, this is what I'm like. Okay, are there, is there anything in particular you look at once you're wearing them? That's an interesting question, and makes me want to 
<laughs> well, <laughs> well, I look at them and stare at the wall. I'm like, you see a blue tinted so, wall. So like, what's around? Like, so there's like a workshop. Mm-hmm. So like, there's tables and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Okay, I'll take a look at the tables first. Actually, most of the other stuff in this workshop looks like it's been pretty much cleared away and piled away, like the rest of the house looks. So you don't see any objects of interest on the table. I look at the closet. It's full of purple goo. Look at the moon pool. Okay, I go look at the moon pool. You look at the moon pool. Can you make an arcana check with advantage? Yeah. Use your lucky dice. Do I have a lucky dice? I don't know. Um, 15. You open the window and once again, the water start to shift and roil. And this time you think back to how Felix sat on the strange throne, how he manipulated the entire map of the thicket. And you find yourself, um, remembering more sharply some of the subtle gestures that he made, the words that he mumbled to himself, and you kneel in front of the stool and you start playing with the mini moon pool. You figure out how to get it to zoom in, to rotate. You futz around and see if you can get it to open doors where they appear on the map and look at the little kind of tiny water light rooms inside. Um, you understand how to use the mini moon pool now. I go to the, like, the, what we think is a door behind the painting. Okay, you all see Juniper run into Selway's room and then run down the hallway, not saying anything to any of you. And you run into Yulikon's bedroom, now fully bathed in moonlight. You take a look at where the canvas has been slashed away, leaving only the frame and the strange wooden panel behind it. Make an arcana check with advantage. 15, 16, 17. It's almost as though it's the same effect that the moon pool has when the light hits it and it activates. You can see lines of blue tinted light, the same tint as the lenses of these glasses cross the door and they don't necessarily do anything as obvious as forming the shape of the knob, but it's some effect where you just feel like it's easier to understand. It comes naturally to you. You can see the symbols and you can intuit what they mean and you understand the three different places you have to touch to open the door manually. I touch them. The walnut wood slides soundlessly into the floor. Behind the walnut panel is a small circular chamber. Um, I go back and I get my friends. Okay, and you, Juniper, lead your friends into Yulikon's bedroom where you see this uh, hole in the wall in a circular room behind it. What? How did you do that? These glasses, they help me understand magic. Good job, Juniper. Yeah, you found the glasses. I did. I just put stuff on my face with no. <laughs> That's sort of your whole biz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go into this room. You go into the room? Yes. Yeah, we do it. You do it. You step inside this circular room and uh, once you are all in there, after a moment, the walnut wood slides back up and encloses this place. And then you feel uh, rumbling under your feet, strange shudders, uh, like nothing you've ever felt before. And you can see striations and scraping marks where the wall appears to be floating up and then you realize after a moment that it is in fact you who are descending on some kind of mechanical or magical platform downward, down past the first floor of the manor, down past the topsoil of Tower Hill and deep, deep into the hill. I am holding onto Olivet's arm the entire time. (laughs) I'll come down from the ceiling for that. Are we going deeper than the well with no bottom? 
How would you know that? What does that even mean? <laughs> the well has no bottom. So like no by oh. logical so it's definition. Not that, it's not that cool that it's not as deep as the well. So. Che, I was like, yeah, all right. Call me when you get to the bottom of the well with no bottom. <laughs> and um, after a moment, or no, a long couple of minutes, the thing shudders to a stop. And uh, now the walls are no longer covered in smooth white plaster. They are rough hewn stone. And in this case, a big slab of stone, once again, soundlessly pulls into the floor, offering you a way out. I pull out my pumpkin ahead of me and peer out the door. As the elevator door opens, you are greeted surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, by the warm glow of candlelight. This room looks at once familiar and strange. It feels like an extension of the stately and academic manor, but its walls are rough stone. Juniper, to you, this room resembles most a chandlery. You can see curls of carved wax on the floor by the work table against one wall, and spare barrels of tallow tucked away in the corner. On the far end of this room is a kind of cradle-like bed that appears to have been intricately carved out of a single, massive bone. Lying on the bed is the body of the great wizard Ulicon. He is well-preserved, and if you did not know of his death decades previous, you might think he was simply enjoying an afternoon nap. This is, this is spooky. All of it don't know what to do, man. Um, I'm still wearing the glasses. Mm-hmm. Also, my earrings and an amulet. Just like you look great. Don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, oh, so, so the glasses don't. Well, what are you doing? I'm looking at the like the candle making paraphernalia. I'm looking at Ulicon's corpse. <laughs> I bet you are. Pick one thing. Let's start. Ulicon's uh, corpse. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned, Ulicon is in this sort of like open casket bone moment. Um, He uh, looks peaceably dressed in teal-colored robes. Um, His hands are folded on his chest. It's a corpse. It's just a corpse. It's not magical. Well, what I can tell you, make an arcana check with advantage. Just um, if you're wearing these glasses, you have advantage on arcana checks. 18, 19. It seems uh, intuitively obvious to you that magic has been used to preserve Ulicon body long past the point of decomposition. That's creepy. Yeah, it is. And candles are on down here. Mm-hmm. Teal candles. So oh. they're they're sympathy candles, correct? No. They're not sympathy candles. Sympathy candles are white and have a sort of lump of teal in the middle that connects them to the great candle. Oh, so these are entirely teal. These are lesser great candles. <laughs> Basically, you're right. One would assume. Could we theoretically just like mush, mash, mush them all together and make another great candle? What else do you want to do in this room? I'm going to kind of check the great candles. Okay. 21. You, you, Juniper Thistle, we know all people are the most well-suited to make this role to understand that... Um, these candles, these smaller, you know, regular sized candles are indeed of the same make and magic of the great candle that once rested on the top of the tower. Yeah, so these are literally more uh, more great candles. Anisha, as the candle person, can we just like mix them together? How many times do I have to tell you that I don't make candles? <sighs> I take care um. of them. <laughs> 
What are you doing, Mateo? Uh, contacting Felix on my mirror. Okay. The connection's a little staticky. You're deep underground. The little There's like no bars in the corner of the mirror. So you see him peering out and he says, um, hey, 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 hi, are you there? Yeah. What's up? We found Ulicon. What does that mean exactly? Now I know I, I, I was pulling your leg earlier, but have a look at this. And I kind of like selfie mode. Like, Why do you have to be in it? Because <laughs> I'm holding the mirror. I just wanted it. I'm so, the perfect size. <laughs> selfie mode. That's like me and then next to me. Yeah, I got yeah, it. He I takes understand. a selfie with the dead yeah. Miss you so much, X. Like, whatever. Um, you pull Yulikon's corpse into the frame and Felix goes, oh my god. Uh, where are you? You're at Yulikon's manor. What do you mean? We're in, we went down some big giant platform that descended rapidly. Uh, I should think of a name for that in the future. <laughs> Jot that down. Um, yeah, uh, and he's here. And there's, look it, there's these candles. And now it's kind of like, you know, flip it to the front camera. There's no front <laughs> camera. It's a mirror. Is he, he's, he's dead though, right? Like that's, he's, that's him being dead. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty dead to me. That's messed up. What is down here? I don't even know There's how it candles. begins to. There's okay. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but they're talking about it being great candles. What? What's going on? Can you put juniper on? Yeah. Hey, Felix. How's hey. It going? Good. Um, that's a nice amulet and glasses. Yeah, I'm accessorizing. Just a little bit of tomb raiding on the side. That's fine. I don't judge. Uh, I gave you a lot of Selway's old shit. I mean, they're not going to need it, right? Yeah. Um, what do we got here? What <laughs> on all of Earth and fantasy Earth is happening? I like give him a pan around. Um, this looks like a chandlery. So this must be where they made the great candle, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. What? Okay. There's stuff. There's like, what's that book? I look at the book that. Great. I grab the book. There's a book in the corner and it looks like a personal journal of Yulikon. And I don't have, I'm not doing full readings of this. The poetry slam is over, but you learn that almost 200 years ago, a great wizard named Yulikon uh, was hoping to establish a landmark sort of uh, beacon that would keep people safe and keep their spirits and their hopes up as they traveled the nasty and treacherous paths of the thicket, which 200 years ago were even, you know, worse state than they are today. There's lots of writings of horrible monsters and banditry and everything. And you learn that Yulikon found the perfect spot, a uh, tall, tall hill in the northern part of the thicket that looked out over a great expanse of the forest. And you learned that when Yulikon got there and began to set up his grand design, he uh, ran into some other occupants. When you flip the page, you see a crude sketch of a large dragon with curving horns, leathery wings, and fierce, fearsome looking eyes. And then you learn how Yulikon slew the dragon. And then you learned how Yulikon experimented on that dragon's body, knowing it to be a magical creature and hoping to learn of its capabilities. And that is how you learn about the properties of dragon tallow. 
which, owing to some mysterious circumstance present in the adaptations or circumstances of the dragon creature, allow that tallow when rendered into wax to emit a voluminous and magically enhanced amount of light. And then you read about how Yulikon took his very, very smart, very, very good idea and rendered all of the dragon tallow of that dragon and all of her children, except one, which got away, and used it to create the biggest candle, the brightest candle, the most magical candle that should ever light the way of all the thicket. And that, Juniper Thistleweed, is when you hear from deeper in these caves screams and the sound of battle. Hmm. Would I share the information or run straight to the screaming? I'd probably run straight to the screaming, wouldn't I? Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, you're going to run to the screaming? I mean, we all hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I will also run to the screaming. Okay, great. I'm glad we're in um, consensus here. You run deeper into the catacombs below Tower Hill, and after a couple of minutes, you can hear the sounds of battle growing louder, but then you see that the way ahead is blocked. The tunnel opens up into a small round chamber, much smaller than this chandlery you found yourself in before. There is light in this room, and it looks like it might be moonlight coming from the smallest pinprick, high, high, high above this chamber with a chute that stretches up for hundreds upon hundreds of meters. And in the moonlight, you can see tendrils of vines that are curling and sprouting leaves and softly waving in the underground breeze that flows here that somehow have managed to find life deep within the bowels of the earth. The vines grow thicker and more circuitous as the tunnel extends in the opposite direction to the point where they begin to block off your path. These are massive, huge, person-sized vines that are coiled up and blocking your way forward. So we're at the bottom of the well, right? I can't tell you that. Yeah. You can just make inferences. <laughs> Besides, the well has no bottom. Yeah, so say, it's this, like, obviously not. This can't be it, yeah. <laughs> so we want to get through these vines. Or is the sound coming from up? It's coming from further beyond, yeah. Who's got a longer thing than a dagger? Fine. We'll start hacking it with my battle axe. Sure. Can you all make whoever's attacking these vines uh, a melee attack roll? 11. Uh, 12. Or I, I can produce flame. I produce flame. Do you want to just roll the damage on produce flame? Sure. Four. So it takes four rounds worth of time, so that would be half a minute, to cut through these vines enough to uh, force your way past them and continue down the tunnel. And in that time, the sound of battle up ahead has stopped. And now in the tunnel before you, there is only silence. Sneaky? Maybe we should be? Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. I'm gonna try that, yeah. That is a 22. You gather around you the cloak of elven kind that Felix gave you, and you focus on the softness of your steps and crouch your slender 15-year-old frame and creep along the tunnel to where it widens 
and you, Mateo, come across a fairly spectacular sight. There is a large cavern that intersects this pathway and kind of juts out in a different direction. And at the far end of this cavern, you can see more moonlight. It seems like this cavern actually uh, extends so far that it breaches the surface several hundred feet away. This cavern has high mesas and deep gouges. There's a lot of levels to it. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's very. It feels like there's like miniature canyons and rifts and gorges and things like that. And all of that is covered in these vines and vegetation, curling ferns and underground shrubs and funguses, um, some of which have a soft illumination. It makes it look almost like a peaceful midnight moonlight garden moment. And most strikingly of all is that the plants on the floor of this cavern are all sprouting drake fruit. So the room is filled with that same teal glow that you have looped around your very own belt. Um, but these drake fruit vary in size hugely, more than you've ever seen. Some of them are the size of apples, some the size of large regular pumpkins, some the size of horses, small cottages. Some of these drake fruit you think you could hollow out and live in if you wanted to. Um, they're sprawling and toppling all over each other, shedding their soft light in this cavern and resting on one of them closest to you, crouched against the ground, Blood spilling from a wound deep in her shoulder is Valix, the woman who destroyed the great candle. She hasn't seen you. She has sweat that plasters her bushy black hair to her forehead. She's looking down the tunnel where it continues in the other direction, and her hand is resting on a dagger that is sitting in the dust at her feet. I suppose I try and circle back around. Sure. Um, I don't think you can make another stealth check. You you got in to like get a vantage point and you can get back out. Okay. Uh, relay the information. Uh, let's go before Valix gets out of here. Before we see Valix, now I let them know. I think Valix, if she's part dragon, like Eric told me, I think she must be a descendant of the dragons who lived in Tower Hill that Ulicon must destroyed or I don't really understand how a person can be part dragon right but I don't know if she's here for some kind of revenge against Yulakon. the candle is made out of dragon tallow so he killed all the dragons in the area except for one to make the great candle and presumably Valix is a descendant of that one I just I just don't understand how um how a human could be part dragon I still just don't nothing has Explained that. Are you saying that Yulikon murdered her whole family? He he killed all the dragons in the area, and the only dragon left is Valix, right? And are you saying that these dragons are also people? I don't know that. I don't know how that works. Okay, I'm just gonna start walking towards Valix. We 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 should be careful. Of what? Mateo said she's dying. That doesn't mean she can't hurt us. I'll keep you guys safe. Olivet, you step forward down this corridor and into the cavern that Mateo saw earlier. Are you attempting to be stealthy? No. 
Okay, so in this case, when you approach your boots crunching in the dust and stone of this cavern, Valix raises her head and catches your eye as she pants and strains against the bottom of this fruit, trying to stay upright. She says, you might as well make it quick. Anisha steps forward and says, in sweet poetic justice, I'd rather not hurt you. I have a difficult time believing that. We have so many questions. I don't have any time to answer them. What do you mean? She gestures to her, like, deep, deep, grievous wound. Who did this? <sighs> Nod, of course. What? what? What do you mean, of course? The bastard turned on me. Why? Do you want to, like, shove a potion down her gullet? Anisha will walk over to Felix and say, please, can I, can I help you? She doesn't understand. She seems very confused that you're even approaching her and not just shooting her on sight. I'm not going to let you die. I, I need to know more. She raises her chin and stares at you, but um, doesn't make a verbal response. Her eyes are looking a little glassy. I touch her on the arm and give her five hit points. You have that now? I have that now. I use healing hands. Anisha, you place both your hands over the wound and meditate, access your (laughs) key. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's related to that, like, weird spiritual energy it's kind of like just willing it willing it to close like i want it so much that it it, i just will it into existence okay you you focus on your discipline and your desire and your determination and you um spend that energy to alter the universe just a little bit and when you pull your hands away um The wound is still there, it still looks bad, but the blood is no longer flowing quite so freely, and Valix blinks a few times, uh, and her breath slows a little bit, and it's a bit easier. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm gonna kick that dagger away from her. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) Fair. She, um, slowly and with difficulty, um, brings herself to her feet, keeping her back against the drake fruit, and surveys all of you. Is Nod still here? Yes. Where? She points to the the tunnel that continues on. Why? What's there? She says he still hasn't gotten what he's after. What is he after? My grandmother. Your grandmother? Is she alive? No. Valix um, pushes past the four of you and starts limping down the tunnel that she pointed in earlier. But she's quite slow. She's she's um, still not doing well at all. And she's taking several breaks to, to cough and to uh, catch her breath. And she keeps both her hands on the walls of the tunnel as she I moves forward. I think Juniper is going to kind of go grab her and like act as a bit of a crutch and she's gonna ask 
What is Nod going to get from your grandmother? What everyone wants from my family. Our power. Okay, first, as a side, I want to put on this oil of sharpness on my... Let's say the daggers. Let's put on the daggers. Okay. What? Where is your grandmother then? How could he possibly take her power if she's dead? Do you know who Nod is? No! <laughs> <laughs> He's a necromancer. Oh, well, we knew that, yeah? So that's how. Oh, well, we kicked his butt a little while ago. We could probably do it again. Did we kick his butt? Well, we kicked his lackey's butt. I shot at a skeleton horse. It was easy peasy. Okay, so where is your grandmother? She points up ahead in the tunnel and says, this way. Okay, I'm going to just rush on ahead. Okay. I'll look at Felix, you're kind of looking like dead weight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on ahead. Bye. Um, she makes no response. Um, I want to know more things. <laughs> Is there anything about Nod that you know that can help us stop him? He doesn't like it when I try to stab him. How? Okay. That's pretty solid. Pretty good. Pretty fucking sassy. What did you want? We made a deal. He would help me get into Tower Hill so I could take my revenge on the candle. And I would help him get under Tower Hill so he could see my grandmother. But... It's clear that he wanted to do more than just that. And when I told him I wouldn't help him anymore, he decided he had no use for me. What's the artifact? What artifact? He was after an artifact or you were after an artifact? Yes. Um, He wanted something of my family's so he could track down the location he was looking for. There was uh, a necklace in Hartshire. I lied to him. I said I didn't know where it was, and he didn't believe me, evidently, so he went there to claim it for himself. Do we have the necklace? We do. But, yeah, there was, like, a tooth missing. Yeah. Oh, so you just... Okay. So your, your goal, your stuff is done. You destroyed the candle. That's what you wanted. That's all you wanted. I wanted to accompany Nod to make sure that he didn't abuse... My family's remains. But I think I'm too late for that. All right. I think that's all I got. Okay, I ran ahead, but I want to come back. (laughs) Something unrelated. You circle back and you're like, by the way. (laughs) Juniper. Hi. Can you read what these do? And I pull out the daggers. They glisten with sharp oil. Um, I'm still wearing the glasses. You are. (laughs) Fifteen. Fifteen, okay. So when you look at these daggers, these fucking daggers, (laughs) you see almost like a line of light that stretches between them that, say, connects the two handles of the daggers. But it's not lightning. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't give me that face. I really thought. (laughs) But it's almost like the, the line that connects them is too long. It coils and pools on the floor like a long rope it needs to be stretched is your professional opinion these daggers need to be separated 
These daggers need to be separated, I say. Uh, okay. I'll give one to Anisha. Juniper, you instruct Olivet, and Olivet, you hand this dagger to Anisha, and Juniper, you can see that once Anisha takes it in their hands and takes a couple steps away, this arcane connection between them becomes taut and elastic and seems so much more vibrant and vivid than the sort of withered, droopy connection you saw before. You're not quite sure what it means, but you can intuit that the daggers are now functioning as they were intended to. I think the daggers are going to work now. Okay. I'm going to run back ahead to dispense some justice. Take that at face value. I'm going to be like, how are they? What do you mean? What? I don't pretend to understand these things. The power of friendship, baby. Yeah. Baby. Olivet, you lead the charge down this hallway. Mateo, not far behind. Anisha probably doing third and Juniper practically carrying Valix along although as Anisha's magic takes its work you can see her steps start to firm up her uh, back start to straighten as you get further and further down the tunnel it seems like maybe she's getting more and more control of herself and you enter a graveyard I call it a graveyard but it's a what's like a darker connotation. It's not intentional. It's a it's a battlefield. It's the site of the last stand of this family of dragons against Yulakon's uh, best intentions. Did Yulakon take all the dragons down by himself? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's he was an extremely accomplished wizard. Whether he might have used magic to just carry the um, wax or the dragon pieces that he wanted back to wherever he wanted them, he left everything he didn't want here. So you enter uh, through the tunnel and you see a huge cavern that opens up with a big tiered protrusion, a projection, these three mesas. The room is still lit by the um, now familiar but growing creepier and, and more unsettling by the day, this teal glow of the drake fruit that still uh, are growing even this far down the tunnel in this cavern and scattered throughout the room and under your feet are bones bones of claws of skulls of horns of ribs and at this very topmost plateau you can see a collection of massive bones each one the size of the casket that Yulakan carved for himself in his grisly vanity. And in front of them, in the flickering drake fruit light, you can see a dwarf with a fancy mustache who is finishing his dark work. And as he lets loose his final syllable, the bones on the top of this plateau start to move. They rise into the air and they begin to meld together and they take on the form of a skeletal dragon, which opens its mouth, stares at you with eyeless sockets, and lets loose a voiceless scream. Roll for initiative. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Many Realms. We are coming up on the finale of the Tallow campaign. I'm so excited. I am vibrating with excitement. I cannot wait for you to hear the culmination of all of the work, the the laughter, the sweat, and the tears we've put into this podcast. I'm so, so excited. It's going to be, well, I already know what it's going to be because we recorded it already. I'm recording this in post. It is amazing. Everyone did a really good job and you're going to love it. Thanks for listening.